Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Tortoise. Hello, it's Claudia, and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. This is an earthquake. It started with an earthquake. Sam Altman is a big name in Silicon Valley. On the 17th of November, the CEO of OpenAI was sacked. uh, This is a stunner. Sam Altman is out as CEO of OpenAI. This was the man who had sold the world the story of open AI. He's a golden child of AI. He's becoming synonymous with this technology. Fired at the height of his success. With the board accusing him of lying. The fault lines within AI's most famous company were becoming apparent. There's still going to be people that have certain motives that don't align with yours, and they want you out. Within hours, rumours were flying about what exactly Sam Altman was supposed to have done. And I just got irritated because there was all these weird conspiracy theories. And an interim CEO was announced in what OpenAI promised would be a seamless transition. Mira Murati, who is the chief technology officer, is going to step up to being interim CEO. But the aftershocks, well, they kept coming. Within 48 hours, she had been replaced too. The latest character here, Emmett Shear. And meanwhile, the tides were turning within the company. Nearly every employee at the company has now threatened to quit over his sudden dismissal. Over 700 people, 96% of the company's staff, signed an open letter calling for Sam Altman's reinstatement. But it didn't take Sam Altman long to find a new job. In fact, it took just three days. The story dominating the news on Wall Street. Stunning developments. Microsoft announced that it is hiring Sam Altman. And the story, it might have ended there. I'm not going to lie, this was a pretty chaotic weekend. But it didn't. Two days later... Sam Altman will now officially return as CEO. He was back. And the board that fired him, well, three out of the four were out. They wasted two weeks of everyone's lives, essentially, including mine. A month on, those board members still haven't actually explained what they meant when they accused Sam Altman of lying. It's crazy that we still don't actually know why the board ultimately fired Sam. But it was all swept under the rug. And very soon, the dust settled. One of the things I learned through this whole thing is how much I love the company Now, if you're not a Silicon Valley aficionado, and I admit I'm not, this all might sound a little absurd. A clumsy bit of office politics that played out in the media. Embarrassing for OpenAI, sure, but 
not consequential. Only, that's not quite true. Because what looked like a bit of a corporate power play was actually a struggle to claim control of the most significant piece of technology of the past century. I would argue that it's one of the most powerful companies in the world. We've seen many instances in which there have been power clashes from ideological differences within the company. It was the culmination of an ideological battle that had been playing out behind the scenes at OpenAI for years. And it was a struggle, really, between two people. He tried to get rid of her, she got rid of him. That's really what happened, essentially. On one side, a visionary leader accelerating the pace of technological change. We believe that AI is going to be a technological and societal revolution. And on the other, the woman who helped force him out. This doesn't make Helen a bad person. It doesn't make her uh, a lunatic or anything else. And her role in a movement. A movement that has driven an existential fear that's anchored its roots in Silicon Valley. A movement that has tried to steer the future of artificial intelligence to the tune of half a billion dollars. Including, it seems, at OpenAI. My colleague Patricia Clark has immersed herself in this world, trying to understand exactly what went on at OpenAI and what it reveals about the tension between private enterprise and public good. This is the story of Helen versus Sam, the battle for open AI. It all starts with one woman. Until I finish this sentence, chances are you're not thinking about whether or not to stay in your chair. It's 2014, and Helen Toner is on stage, preaching. I think this heuristic of trying to be a good person stops us from taking those opportunities. Right now, she's 8,000 miles away from Silicon Valley, in her hometown of Melbourne, Australia. And she has some pretty fervent beliefs. She's in her early 20s and wants to dedicate her life to doing good. And that's why I challenge each of you to stop trying to be a good person. Or something like that. She's advocating, evangelising even, about an idea called effective altruism. And effective altruism is about thinking about not just how to make a difference, but how to make the biggest difference that each of us can. It's an approach to charitable giving that somehow will form the basis of a rupture inside OpenAI nine years later. A head-to-head that, for Sam Altman, will be traumatic. The only comparable set of life experience I had, and this, that one was, of course, much worse, uh, was when my dad died. And for Helen Toner, deeply distressing. She will find herself at the centre of a storm of misogyny and baseless conspiracies, including from investors in OpenAI. Who exactly were some of these folks on the board? You know, this, this Helen Toner person seems like a lovely, a lovely human being. Uh, you know, was she a CCP agent? Was no. she a what? Uh, a, a, an agent of the oh. Chinese Communist Party. Helen Toner will find out what it's like to get between a different sort of church and its leader. Effective altruism hasn't just consumed Helen Toner. In 2014, it's starting to sink its teeth into Silicon Valley. And if you want to understand what this philosophy is, 
If you want to understand what people like Helen Toner do, then you need to meet their leader. So I'm a little different from a normal moral philosopher because I'm a little less head in the sky clouds. I want to fundamentally, I want to make the world a better place. Okay. And so I'm asking the question, how can we do as much as possible to make the world better? That's what effective altruism is about. It's September 2022, and William McCaskill is in the midst of a $10 million book tour. Specifically, he's on the set of The Daily Show, talking to Trevor Noah across a sleek black table. This is where effective altruism has taken him. So imagine you're walking, um, you're hiking on a trail, and you drop some glass, and it shatters, and you wonder, should I pick up the glass? Should I Mm -hmm. clean after myself? Maybe someone will walk along the trail and cut themselves. And you think, well, you know, obviously I should because I don't want to harm someone. Right. But now just imagine, do they cut themselves tomorrow, or in a year's time, or in a hundred years' time? Would that change the morality of the situation? I don't think so. Harm is harm, no matter when it occurs. What he's talking about sounds a little academic. But then again, he is a professor at the University of Oxford. And yet, here he is, on a primetime television programme that regularly boasts audience figures in the millions. It's the culmination of more than a decade of increasing influence for McCaskill. And it all started when he was an 18-year-old philosophy student and he discovered a 1972 paper by the radical utilitarian Peter Singer. That controversial paper argued that we have the same moral obligations to people far away as we do to those close to us. And it became the basis for effective altruism, the movement to which Helen Toner would soon become a loyal devotee. Effective altruism is... The idea that we should use reason and evidence to figure out the best ways to maximize the amount of quote-unquote good that we do in the world. That's Emil P. Torres, an academic whose work focuses on existential threats to humanity and civilization. Emil explains that one example of effective altruism, or EA, is something called earning to give. Let's say you have two options. One is to go work for a nonprofit that focuses on environmental issues. The other is to go work for what William McCaskill refers to as immoral organizations, quote unquote. So this might be a petrochemical company, or maybe it's uh, some firm on Wall Street. Rather than getting the job of the nonprofit, you go and work for one of these immoral organizations and consequently make a lot of money. You can take that money and potentially do more good than if you just you know, work for the nonprofit. So if you get a high paying job on Wall Street or for a petrochemical company, and you then donate a significant portion of your annual income to that nonprofit, maybe they then could hire 10 people right? rather than just hiring you, you know, one person. So this is the idea of, of earn to give. You pursue lucrative jobs to make as much money as possible in order to give those away to EA-approved charities. William McCaskill lived these values with religious fervor. And in 2009, he set up Effective Altruism's first, what you might call church, an organization called Giving What We Can, which encouraged its members to donate 10% of their salaries to causes that were Effective Altruism approved. And soon, his ideas began to gain traction beyond the corridors of Oxford University, all the way to the upper echelons of Silicon Valley. In 
In 2011, he joined forces with an American EA charity called GiveWell, which was backed by Dustin Moskowitz, the billionaire co-founder of Facebook. And through that charity, he made some pretty powerful connections. The greatest success story that EA had for this earn-to-give career path was Sam Bankman-Fried. So he initially sat down in uh, 2012 for lunch with William McCaskill, didn't really know what he wanted to do with his life. McCaskill introduced him to this idea of earn to give, and it changed Bankman-Fried's life. He then pursued a job on Wall Street. Then he spent a year at the Center for Effective Altruism, which McCaskill co-founded. And then he decided maybe crypto is the best way for me to, as one journalist put it, get filthy rich for charity's sake. In the end, my goal is to do as much good as I can for the world. I, this is Sam Bankman-Fried talking to Forbes in early 2022. Um, and looking at things that could have really big impacts on the long-run future of the world, because anything that you do that affects the whole future, it might be affecting tens of trillions of future people. In case you missed it, he did become filthy rich for charity's sake. At the peak of his success, he was worth $26.5 billion. But he took a few shortcuts to get there. In pursuit of his effective altruist and long-termist aims to maximize the amount of good that he does in the universe, he ended up cutting a number of corners. You know, EA has been hugely influenced by utilitarian ethics. And utilitarian ethics says the ends justify the means. So if the best way to maximize the amount of good involves a little bit of fraud, or maybe even something worse, you know, one might even argue from a, a strong utilitarian perspective that you have a moral obligation to engage in fraud. The end result of this, the irony really, is that about two months after McCaskill was on The Daily Show promoting his philosophy, Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested in the Bahamas. One of the most powerful people in the cryptocurrency industry, Sam Bankman-Fried, arrested overnight in the Bahamas. The federal charges just unsealed. They include eight counts, including wire fraud, securities fraud, and intent to defraud the United States government. For many, that arrest should have been the end of effective altruism. But the movement had already found a foothold in a new, fast-growing part of Silicon Valley, the world of artificial intelligence. And this is where Helen Toner and Sam Altman's careers converge. There's a thought experiment people like to talk about when they're discussing the risks associated with AI. It's called the paperclip problem. In 2014, Nick Bostrom, another Oxford philosopher, wondered what would happen if you asked AI to make as many paperclips as possible. The AI, he argued, could quickly realise that it would be much better if humans didn't exist, because they might decide to turn it off. And if they turned off the AI, there would be fewer paperclips. So, in this scenario, the AI ends up destroying humanity and filling the world with paperclip factories. Nick Bostrom said he developed the paperclip problem to help people understand that machines may not have the same priorities as humans, and that with that comes immense risk. And strangely, even though most people working on AI say this risk is overblown, 
the idea caught on among the effective altruists. Because, bear with me here, the EAs believe that people's lives in the future are just as valuable as ours today. Killing billions of people in 300 years is worse than killing millions today. And so, if AI could kill us all, then we must pull all of our resources into trying to build it safely. It was this thinking that spawned a new arm of effective altruism, the AI safety movement. And it also fueled a worry about who controlled the development of AI. Enter OpenAI in 2015. I had a number of problems with the existing research institutions in the world, uh, so I thought it'd be good to create an alternative. The year after the emergence of the paperclip problem, 30-year-old entrepreneur Sam Altman teamed up with Elon Musk, the man who seems to be at the centre of every tech story these days. There was a worry that the big companies would dominate AI and the next phase of computing. This is the journalist Kara Swisher. I'm a podcaster with two podcasts, On with Kara Swisher and Pivot. I just finished a memoir of Silicon Valley called Burn Book. She's been visiting OpenAI since the early days. And they wanted to create something that benefited humanity. So humanity had a chance versus not just the machines, less the machines than the big companies. So Musk and Altman started OpenAI as a charity, and they vowed to keep their research public, hence the Open in the company's name. Their explicit goal was to advance digital intelligence in the way that is most likely to benefit humanity as a whole. And while the company was all about keeping AI safe, that didn't mean it lacked ambition. Not with Sam Altman at the helm. We believe that AI is going to be a technological and societal revolution. I like him. I like Sam. He's a very aggressive entrepreneur, no question. You know, he's got some sharp edges, but again, that's really everybody in Silicon Valley is, so I don't... Under his leadership, OpenAI had one goal. It's trying to develop uh, superhuman AI and have that be as good as possible for, for humans. Specifically, they were working on something called AGI. Artificial General Intelligence. That's Karen Howe, a contributing writer for The Atlantic, who's also writing a book about AI for Penguin Press. She says AGI is a tricky term. There's no common definition around this particular technology. Actually, OpenAI doesn't even have a common definition. But it is tied up in that broad ambition of Sam Altman's, superintelligence. The same ambition that, because of the paperclip theory, made others worried, especially the effective altruists. But for many of OpenAI's employees, the intangible goal of AGI was a motivator, a larger-than-life ambition that made their work feel important and world-changing. It allowed the team to recruit world-class engineers and researchers for a fraction of the salaries of big competitors like Google. But that mission became blurred when Elon Musk left the company in 2019 and took his money with him. They started to realize that the particular direction that they chose for AI development was going to be incredibly capital intensive. They ultimately came up with one that was very peculiar, which is to nest a for-profit or what they call a capped profit entity under the nonprofit that would be able to raise money, hire talent at higher salaries, and also ultimately commercialize products so that there could be some kind of return on investment to the people that pitched money into this entity, ultimately all still governed by a nonprofit 
and the board of the nonprofit, a board of directors that was supposed to be beholden to humanity still. So the house of OpenAI was built on a shaky foundation. And it was in the cracks in that foundation that doubt crept into the company. Part of the reason why there are such ideological differences is because people join the company either because they're really excited about the for-profit commercialization endeavors or because they're really excited by the fact that there is a check on those endeavors by the nonprofit. And so over time, there have been two kind of ideological extremes, some of which are really, really enthralled by the techno-optimist argument that ultimately any technology will advance society and you should deploy it as quickly as possible versus the other extreme, which is the doomer camp of we should really be potentially not developing this technology at all. If we know anything about the effect of altruists, it's that they sit firmly within the doomer camp. Four years later, a couple of them, led by Helen Toner, would knock the pillars and watch as the house of OpenAI came crashing down on Sam Altman. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Does what's going on in the American election scare and bemuse you in equal measure? Want to know what Biden and Trump are up to without tearing your hair out? Then you need to listen to American Friction, the brand new podcast about the countdown to the big vote in November from the makers of Oh God, What Now?, The Bunker and Paper Cuts. Every Friday, we'll speak to leading experts and blockbuster commentators from the United States to explain the latest news and the big issues behind the vote. That's American Friction with me, Jacob Jarvis. Me, Chris Jones. And me, Nikki McCann Ramirez. Out every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. In the next 10 or 20 years, something that we call transformative AI will be developed, which is a term we use to mean an AI system or AI systems that uh, will have an effect on the world of roughly comparable magnitude to the Industrial Revolution. This is obviously a somewhat vague term. You can already hear her Australian accent fading in 2017 when Helen Toner is living in Silicon Valley. Here, she's speaking on behalf of Open Philanthropy, a massive effective altruism charity started by Dustin Moskowitz, the Facebook co-founder who, if you recall, was one of the early pioneers of the movement. If you do have AI systems, machine learning systems that could create massive changes in the world, you know, who should be able to use those systems? What should they be able to do with them? Who should they need to consult with first? Those kind of questions. 
By this point, effective altruism is far more than a faith. It's an institution, thanks to the funding of billionaires like Moskowitz and Sam Bankman-Fried. According to the database OpenBook, Open Philanthropy has given out at least $1.5 billion in grants since it started in 2014. They funded everything from the Korean Animal Welfare Association to charities that provide mosquito nets to target malaria. But they've also funneled money into the burgeoning field of AI safety, to the tune of $350 million. But unlike animal welfare or malaria, AI safety was not an established issue before the effective altruists came along. It was a burgeoning philosophical debate tied to an exponentially growing technology one that consumed Helen Tona. I think the question of how able are we to continue to steer the future in a direction that is actually what humans would really want and is, is good for um, sort of society as a whole is going to be a really big challenge. And all that money, about half a billion dollars from various different effective altruist charities, supercharged this once niche philosophy. It gave the AI safety effective altruists legitimacy and power in Silicon Valley. In 2021, when she was working at Open Philanthropy, Helen Toner found herself elected to the board of OpenAI. There, she joined another effective altruist, a robotics engineer who sits on the board of Effective Ventures, another of William McCaskill's charities. Helen Toner was the seventh member of the board. And if we go by ideological divides, four of them were AI doomers. Three others, broadly speaking, were accelerationists, who were excited about AI's potential to change the world. At this point, ChatGPT hadn't been released to the world, and OpenAI was little known outside of Silicon Valley. Ilya Satskeva, their chief scientist and co-founder, knew they were sitting on something huge. Sudskever is sort of like a mystic philosopher, brainiac scientist type. I think a lot of people describe him as, a, as a, like a very a loving and lovable soul. He's always like trying to champion and encourage people. And he approaches everything with this very intense fervor, almost a religious fervor. Scientists are supposed to be very cautious, hypothesis-driven. He would just immediately be like, this is going to be right, this is going to work, and I am God, basically. <laughs> and so as he becomes more and more confident of this superintelligence, like, he started acting kind of like this spiritual leader within the organization. But Sutskova's fervent excitement slowly turned to fear, that same existential doom preached by the effective altruists. And it all came to a head at a company retreat, just a few months before ChatGPT went public. He commissioned this wooden effigy from a local artist that was meant to represent unaligned AGI, which is the term that people use for, you know, AGI that's gone badly and that will be catastrophically bad for humanity, and burned it as part of kind of like a ritual to signify that OpenAI was committed and should continue to be committed to their founding principles of creating a aligned AGI. And so I think if you kind of imagine in his headspace, like he was already kind of a, a mythical philosopher guy, I think it just intensified as the stakes for him became more urgent. Sutskova's catchphrase was feel the AGI, 
something he would repeat across the OpenAI offices. He even led the employees through chants. Feel the AGI told staff that the company was on the cusp of achieving its ultimate goal. To the AI accelerationists, this was a rallying cry. But to the doomers, it was a doomsday warning. Then, on November 30th, 2022, they launched a new product. A new online chatbot is making waves on social media. Chat GPT. Maybe you've heard of it. It took Netflix more than three years to reach one million users, but it took ChatGPT just five days. Techies everywhere short-circuiting with excitement. ChatGPT was the perfect demonstration for the Doomer camp for all the concerns they had, because when you put a technology in the hands of 100 million users, you start to see where it falls apart. You start to see when it doesn't work. You start to see when users start to abuse it. ChatGPT split the company in two. From the outside, it's the most successful consumer tech product launch ever. And from the inside, it's sort of the thing that starts to completely unravel the organization. Helen Toner did not reply to any of my requests for an interview. But sources have told me that in the years since ChatGPT was released, she'd begun to develop a complicated relationship with effective altruism. In July 2022, she published a blog called Leaning into EA Disillusionment. She said she wanted to be involved in a community that was more self-aware, less dogmatic, less totalizing. Her faith, it seems, was starting to erode. Those who know her have also told me that she's measured and thoughtful when it comes to AI safety issues. She's not just a long-term doomer. They say Helen Toner really cares about AI safety. But it seems like her complex relationship with the Church of Effective Altruism did play a part in that fateful week at OpenAI. OpenAI has also drawn criticism for many other safety and ethics issues related to the launches of ChatGPT and GPT-4. In October 2023, Helen Toner published a paper with the Centre for Security and Emerging Technology at Georgetown University. That organisation, by the way, was established in 2019 with a $55 million grant from Open Philanthropy, the effective altruist organisation. Including regarding copyright issues, labour conditions for data annotators and the susceptibility of their products to jailbreaks that allow users to bypass safety controls. And while the paper was highly complimentary about OpenAI, it also highlighted some of the company's flaws. And more than that... A different approach to signalling in the private sector comes from Anthropic, one of OpenAI's primary competitors. The paper praised OpenAI's biggest competitors. It did not go down well. She wrote a piece where she insulted the company and praised Anthropic. That's the journalist Cara Swisher again. She says we don't know why Helen Toner published the paper when she did. We just know that it infuriated Sam Altman. I got to say I'm with Sam on this. A board member can't do that. They should leave the board and join the other board or leave the board and write it. It was just, if she didn't like it there, that's not the way to do it publicly, insulting a company or on the board. It's just, I'm thrilled with it as a reporter, but it's not a board member. It's not the job of a board member to do that. One of the paper's co-authors told me that they stand by their findings and research. But according to Kara Swisher... Sam Altman was so angry that he tried to remove Helen Toner from the board. Unsuccessfully. 
That paper was published on the 23rd of October. Two weeks later, Sam Altman was on stage at OpenAI's first development conference. We believe that AI will be about individual empowerment and agency at a scale that we've never seen before, and that will elevate humanity to a scale that we've never seen before either. He's not shying away from the promises of AGI's capabilities. We'll be able to do more, to create more, and to have more. As intelligence gets integrated everywhere, we will all have superpowers on demand. We're excited to see what you all will do with this technology and to discover the new future that we're all going to architect together. The grand optimism of Sam Altman's words feel a far cry from the caution in Helen Toner's academic paper. And while we still don't know exactly what was happening behind the scenes, their public pronouncements show just how far apart the two had grown over their vision of what AI could do. And, unfortunately, timing was not on Sam Altman's side. Earlier this year, three of his allies left the board for various reasons, and they had not yet been replaced. So, out of the seven 2021 board members, just four were left. And thanks to OpenAI's complex structure, those four people had a lot of power. If they all agreed that Sam Altman wasn't a good fit anymore, they could vote him out. And so it went from a relatively big board that was balanced to people that really think AI is going to kill us, I guess, in the broadest term. And I think it's a little more nuanced than that. And so it was a small board. One was effective altruist Tasha McCauley. And her views, they were pretty extreme. Kara Swisher reported that Tasha McCauley didn't want Sam Altman's finger on the button when it comes to AI. In other words... She had EA-style existential fears about what OpenAI was working on. So it's no surprise that she was on side. Then there was Ilya Satskeva, the chief scientist who burnt an effigy to unaligned AI in the office. You can see how they might have won him over. And finally, there was a man called Adam D'Angelo, the founder of the Q&A website Quora. Now, from all the public statements he's made... It seems he's not a doomer, but he is keenly aware of the risk of AI. And ultimately, he voted with Helen Toner too. So, without knowing the details of what happened, we know that when Sam Altman made his move to fire Helen Toner, the board shot back. He tried to get rid of her. She got rid of him. That's really what happened, essentially, or she and the others. And I bet he was uh, crafty in how he tried to get rid of her. It's a small board. You have to be very careful. And I suspect there was, um, I'm not suggesting skullduggery, but this is board politics. And so they won the fight. This was a power struggle, pure and simple. In the hours after the board fired Sam Altman, Helen Toner referred back to the company's founding promise to benefit all humanity. And she said that destroying OpenAI could be consistent with that promise. No one knows exactly why she said that, or why the board accused Sam Altman of lying in the first place. To this day, they haven't explained their wording. What we do know is that this was framed by the board as an ideological struggle the people striving for safer AI, trying to save the board from reckless Sam Altman. But Cara Swisher says... I know they think that they were fighting for humanity, but it's it's such a complex topic. It's a little more complex than that. 
Helen Toner resigned on the 30th of November 2023, a year to the day after ChatGPT was released to the public. Tasha McCauley and Ilya Satskova were also out. The more moderate thinker, Adam D'Angelo, stayed. They wasted two weeks of everyone's lives, essentially, including mine. Kara Swisher says this was bored politics, pure and simple. And clearly, that was part of it. But OpenAI isn't any old business. They work on a complex, and yes, philosophical, emerging technology that really could change the world. Remember what Karen Howe said. The company doesn't even know how to define its own goal. These kinds of ideas are very vulnerable to ideological interpretation. You can project whatever ideology you want onto what AGI is. You can project whatever ideology you want onto what what is good for humanity. And this is how ideas take hold in Silicon Valley. Ilya Sutskova, OpenAI's chief scientist, is often credited as the brain behind ChatGPT. But just remember him burning effigies in the office when he thought he was getting close to AGI. At some point in Silicon Valley, everyone starts to play God. And it's a narcissism, it's deep narcissism that you can't get away from in Silicon Valley. And I think tech people are, are, are so, they're so enamored with themselves. They think, you know, you'll see all these tech bros now pontificate on foreign policy when they never took a history course in their lives. And it's not, I'm not, I don't welcome their input. So I think one of the things we have to face is who makes these decisions for the rest of society. And that's, that's something we've got to hash out among and between ourselves in, a, in, a, in an intelligent, smart way, talking about the here and now. What can we do to mitigate the current problems? Surveillance, facial recognition, killer robots. What are we going to do about those things? Um, and then what are we going to do to anticipate the worst case scenarios and emphasize the very best case scenarios, gene folding, cancer research, drug development. But Helen Toner isn't a tech bro. In fact, I believe that she really is a moderate. That's certainly what people close to her have told me. But she got swept up in the narcissism of Silicon Valley. That same narcissism that took hold of effective altruism, a radical, if flawed, approach to charity, and turned it into Sam Bankman-Fried. That narcissism also means that Silicon Valley executives often overlook the actual risks that come with building AI, like data bias, privacy concerns, or job displacement, and instead pour millions of dollars and time into mitigating existential risk. And Sam Altman? He's not exempt in all this either. For all the talk about him being visionary and formidable, I've spoken to senior Silicon Valley executives who've told me that he can be sneaky and manipulative, more worried about his own power than the technology he's building. But ultimately, Helen Toner faced off with him and she lost. She didn't stand a chance, did she? Sam Altman was the man who drove OpenAI to an immense valuation. And that's what Silicon Valley is actually about. No, I think most people are interested in money. That's what they, I think the, 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 the philosophy of money is how most of them operate. I mean, I just finished a memoir of Silicon Valley, and the first line of the book is, so it was capitalism after all. So that's how I look at it. 
That was my conclusion after 30 years. It looks like they just wanted money. So maybe it isn't as complex as everyone says it is. And maybe all of this philosophy is actually very simple. This story was reported by me, Patricia Clark. It was co-written and produced by Matt Russell, with additional reporting by Barney McIntyre. The sound design was by Tom Kinsella, and the editor was Kerry Thomas. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Hi, I'm Gemma Ware, host of the Conversation Weekly podcast. Each week, I get to speak to some of the smartest people in the world as they connect their new research to the biggest news and issues of today. You'll get a bit of everything from how women are changing North Korea to the emerging science of interoception, our sixth sense, to the importance of intellectual humility. Follow the Conversation Weekly for new episodes every Thursday and read more stories direct from academic experts every day on theconversation.com.